artificial intelligence. Love it, hate it, no matter what you think about it, it's here to stay. We're going to talk about how it affects business and the technology landscape overall. All this and more on the episode one of Cloud Sherpa. Let's go. Hey, welcome to Cloud Sherpa. My name is Joey Perez. I'm joined here by my famous guest, Derek Roush. What's up, bro? Infamous, maybe? Infamous, maybe. We're about to be famous. It's going to happen. No. No? All right. I don't want fame. All right. So, sure, you want to rerun the show open? You know what to do that again? I said famous. No, I mean, you don't need to reopen it, but I mean, look, Hollywood's pagan. I don't want, I don't want to be famous. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. What? Well, we're not as known as, uh, as Hollywood. And that's fine. I guess that's the point. Yeah. What's that one, uh, quote? Um, gosh, it was an old missionary that quote said that quote of all I want to do is, uh, Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen. That's 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 the right attitude. Yeah, that's, that's the right attitude. Yeah, I don't give a crap about fame. <laughs> well, look here on uh, on Cloud Chirp, but one of the things that we want to do is talk about business technology solutions from a biblical worldview. Um, and understandably, while everybody's got different um, takes as to what's going on, right? Everyone's like an opinion. Everyone's got one, right? Um, a lot of it doesn't end up being rooted back into where truth comes from. And it's one of the things that we wanted to get back to with the discussion around businesses. These, it seems like everyone is making truth claims, but unwilling to stand on what truth is. And with AI being as pervasive as it is right now into these different sectors of business, I read a post today that was talking about how uh, the death of Google and search is right around us. And it's because uh, chat GPT has opened up to integrate with so many other different layers that it's becoming way more conversational than search term based. So, um, the problem is, and I, I think while this is a, you know, one of those like gems that when you turn it, right, you got different lights mm-hmm. coming into this prism of uh, people seeing problems and benefits of this is where is this truth actually being quoted from? I mean, as early as yesterday, I saw a clip from, uh, Jordan Peterson with, uh, I forget the name of the gentleman, but they were talking about how he was able to start getting GPT to start pretending. And like, how long does that have to continue before this thing learns by itself? I mean, didn't, didn't you, weren't you the one that told me about um, it learned a language or something like that too? Yeah, there was a study where uh, two competing chat bots, basically, um, they kind of turned them loose, let them have a conversation with one another. And it only took them a matter of a couple of hours that they created their own language. I mean, a fully, you know, developed language within a couple of hours, a language that didn't exist. That's a problem, right? Because it's a huge then, problem. Because now these things not only be continue this conversation, because I would imagine if it's smart enough to do that, I don't see how they couldn't go dark web, right? And kind of fall off of this same communication channel. Like, I remember there was a big, uh, like, Facebook, Instagram nuclear mm-hmm. at the time where, like, all these accounts were getting nuked because of, you know, so-called disinformation, which, you know, we've gone back and forth about that, too. Like, it's just information. Like, it's not dis or miss. It's just, it's good information and bad information. That's a true thing. But nonetheless, it's just info, right? And so, when... It's these, what you do with it. Yeah, it's what you do with it. And, like, 
consider the source. Yeah. This is where we're ultimately coming back to with the where's the source of AI getting its data from in the first place that we're trusting it. Another thing that came from that podcast with uh, Jordan Peterson was how he had uh, noticed that in some of the prompts, he was getting back links, hyperlinks to articles that didn't exist. Mm. But but the points being made around it supported what the prompt that was given to AI was like trying to solve for. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, so at a basic level, you got parents going, oh, I can help my kid get his homework done with <laughs> yeah, with AI. Yeah. You know, the, the college kid going, oh, I can have it write my uh, term paper and, and, you know, just go back and maybe make some corrections. Yeah. Um, maybe intentionally fib some things, right? Just to make it more human. Yeah. But, but then, mean, but, but you get into the point of, you know, okay, we ha- have all these good things that it can do. Um, and, and in the business world, we, we kind of keep it in a box, right? You know, I can tell it, you know, where to get the information from, you know, uh, yes, inside of my CRM, you know, dip into, you know, customer database, uh, information, but, you know, no, I can't uh, let you go to Wikipedia and pull information. Yeah. Right. You know, all my competitors or whatever the case is, you know, but we could put, you know, some guardrails around it inside of business in the real world there's no guardrails there's there's no governing body there's no commission that says you know we're the ai regulatory committee Mm -hmm. you know uh because at some point you know ai and it has to run in these large server farms there's only so many places in the in the world that you know you can run these server farms that are you know, off the fault lines and, and, you know, mm-hmm. m- multiple power grids and, and, you know, multiple internet connections, but who's going to hold the keys? Who's going to be able to pull the plug to the internet yeah. if it gets out of hand or who's going to be able to cut off the power, you know, because the AI at the rate it's going and the rate it's learning can maybe be smart enough to put safeguards in there where you can't turn the power yeah. off. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of where my mind was going was with the whole nuking of these different accounts was one of the things that popped up. Oh, instead of using Messenger or like Instagram DMs or like, let's go to Signal or Telegram, right? So people were trying to Mm -hmm. essentially de-platform to go to these encrypted platforms, which despite the data that's come out about whether or not they really are encrypted or not, it's the fact that if the machine can talk to itself and learn a new language, what's to say that the machine can't like you're saying, develop a safeguard to stop itself from either yeah. being unplugged or maybe it runs like um, offline, but continues computing it's within itself. And then in the event that it connects to the internet is able to uh, to shoot out all that data in a millisecond. Shame on you. That's rule number one. I know. No dude. cell phones. I know. Dude. I should know this when I come to church, right? Like, yeah, turn yeah. <laughs> you turn Vibrate. <laughs> but like the 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 idea that it only takes due to hypersecond, a millisecond, right? To transmit data, especially with the way that we're, I'm learning with you in this business, yeah. how much can get computed very quick through the cloud, right? Where I only got to put in a little bit and then the rest of it will unpack, so to speak, in the cloud. So it'll just be chilling for that, that, that connection for the other AI portion to pick up. My point is, is, AI in and of itself is not inherently evil, right? Cell phones are not inherently evil. But for some reason, I can tell you as a human being, thinking about putting like a Neuralink in my, ch- in my head is not, like I'm not excited about that idea. 
right? But I carry the cell phone in my hand all the time. Yep. So in a way, I can see how it makes sense that the only di- the difference is how quickly can I transmit data from my brain to my fingers as opposed to from my brain to the actual computer itself. Yeah, the, the big data and the analytics and, and what we can do with those analytics, that's great stuff. Like what we're doing with the nonprofit that mm-hmm. we're working with and trying to help them develop uh, – you know, cognitive learning uh, behaviors and and grow that cognitive learning behavior through the use of um, basically a, a learning tool that we're helping them develop. And, and that tool is going to then pull analytics for every student. Now I can track the progress of that student. Um, and not only that, but I might see, is there a plateau to cognitive learning behavior within cerebral palsy uh, patients or uh, students that are in a cerebral palsy school, Um, then how does that parlay into brain injuries or stroke victims? I mean, the the use cases go huge um, when you start taking all those data analytics and mining that data and trying to figure out, you know, where the peaks and valleys are and where the plateaus are. Mm. Uh, that That's really useful information. And, and AI can help us parse that information really quick. Yeah. That's the cool stuff about it. You know, it, it's just when there's no guardrails around it, does it start making up its own information? You know, yeah. That, you know, we've already talked about, you know, how um, some AIs have expressed like love to uh someone you know uh, there was that new york times reporter that had like a long several hour discussion with an ai uh bot and you know by the end of that conversation the bot was telling the reporter that you know it thought that it was falling in love with the reporter oh what but with that said i i, I will say could that was that really the AI speaking, or was it you know some uh, punk behind a keyboard you know who was coding in the AI? Uh, that we don't really know. Um, okay, so I take take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, sure, right. So, so, but to your point on like, because it's interesting about the governing body, like these guardrails. So I'm gonna I'm gonna share something I learned not too long ago um, regarding like where the term snake oil salesman came from. You know where that comes from. Uh, isn't it like the 17, 1800s, you know, and it's old, that's for sure. And the guys would go around and, and sell all the different elixirs and all bingo. Right. So these people are selling like they're literally selling snake oil. Yeah. And it was a certain kind of snake oil that they knew that would work. And they started using like Western, like rattlesnake, right. A snake oil. And the problem was, is they didn't have a regulation to stop these people going from town to town selling really bad stuff to people. Um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting just nugget to figure out where the term came from and why is it that we use that, right? Um, but the thing is, is like the FDA today is very different organization than it was founded as, right? Um, yeah, we used to always trust the FDA. That's where it came from. The, the FDA actually started because of the snake oil salesman. That was the organization that was mm-hmm. put in place. So today, like, well, I don't really buy it, right? So, and it doesn't mean that everything is garbage that's said out there, but my, but there is a very high level of distrust and there is a lot of good reason for that distrust. So 
my thought is, is when you talk about even governing bodies, it's like there's the part of my brain that says, yes, we need something to govern. What is it? Some kid putting prompts behind the keyboard of how mm -hmm. it should. Right. Or is it do you think that it's not, it, I guess my brain is computing even right now. It sounds like the way that we're trying to make AI down the center is that we would essentially tell AI to govern itself. And then that way it then becomes a neutral grounds, which is why when people start putting in prompts to different forms of AI, I've seen people do it like on Snapchat AI. I've seen people do it on like GPT, right? Where the responses are biased when it comes to specific topics. Sure. Um, and even uh, the way that, that when uh, one of the things Jordan Peterson said in his recent podcast about this was at times he would have to correct the AI when he thought that it was a morality issue. It's like, no, ig ignore that and give me the prompt anyway. Like he kind of had to bully it into mm -hmm. continuing through and that the, the, the machine would actually apologize and be like, Oh, sorry, you're right. I, you did say that. Let me go ahead and do this anyway. So it seems as if in a utopia, I think that's coding on the back end though. Yeah, I, I do. I think, I think somebody's uh, trying to force, a particular initiative. That's my own personal opinion. Um, and, and I might be wrong. You know, I mean, I, I'm not an engineer, you know, I just been around this stuff long enough. And this is also the, the, the significance behind that because where, man, I'm going to probably, I'm going to shift gears for a second. You remember when like you have a cassette or like an old CD and you throw it, pop it in a Walkman and it would come with, like an insert that had like album art and lyrics and you can Dude, sit there. Eight tracks. Yeah, bro. So like, I was around yeah. when eight tracks were out. So like that was, you could actually pop in the music yeah. and enjoy just the music. Mm -hmm. Right. If I, if I got like my CD, then I was able to open up. Remember that in downtown Disney, they used to have Virgin records, right? You can go, there's two stories. That place was off the chain. Um, so not even a CD thing, but the old days when you had the nice albums, yeah. you opened up the albums and you got, you know, all this storyline and backstory to the album and all that. Yeah. And cover art. That was so cool. Yeah. You used to have you like know? special thanks. You yeah. know, there's like a book, right? Those are cool days. Um, you know, and then if you got it signed. Whew. Yeah. Big deal. And now it's like, it's interesting. I've, I've seen how just the importance of having a tangible, right? Thing like a record is. Um, We've it, done it to books. Yeah. I mean, dude, I just showed you an app today that had 900 theological books for free at my fingertips, mm -hmm. man. Um, like that's awesome. Awesome. Nothing quite takes the place of page flipping though. Right. Yeah. And so my point is, is that there's something significant that I think isn't quantified or maybe nobody's really, I haven't heard about anybody figuring out how to quantify the significance of sitting and reading a physical book well right? so, so if you think about it what what's one way you control a population is to rewrite history oh that didn't really happen you know mm -hmm. um you know everybody wants to talk about like uh the persecution of the of the jews which yes it did happen the holocaust happened what was it seven million jews I, b I believe that died in the holocaust mm. history won't teach you about the bolsheviks that killed 17 million christians mm. you know uh so so we we rewrite history to to shape our narrative 
And if we can digitize the books, we get them out of print version, right? Now we can start changing things little by little to where it fits our narrative. Uh, so, so like there's some, uh, group that's trying to use AI to rewrite the Bible. Yeah. Um, and, you know, change the outcomes of stories that we grew up with, you know, and, that's a problem when you take something that is regarded as highly as truth and you start, you know, changing it to shape your narrative. Yeah. But if you have everything digitized, you can do that. Yeah. At scale very quickly. Mm-hmm. Right. I have set the program to do that. Yeah. But it can be very slowly, little by little and mm. to where people don't even notice the changes. Wow. Yeah. It's slightly concerning. Just a little bit. And so like I was, you know, as I, I sat down, I was, uh, I got a couple new bookshelves for the house, right? Setting up like the home office and filling it up and just enjoying that process of organizing what books I'm putting where. And I was thinking about like how significant it is to, as an author, to sit down, if I'm writing a book on something that is factual, right? Um, to sit down and account for these things, thoughtfully write them out, pass it through like an editor, Right. The editor helped me clean up maybe my grammar or maybe the presentation of that fact. Mm-hmm. It go to a publishing house. It finally getting printed and pressed and sent out. And then. So, like, the fact that I don't have a million distractions, I mean, dude, I, I mean, let me just compare that to a piece of data that could be equally true in video format on like a YouTube short. But it has a like a dislike button, a share button. It has a description button. It has the profile name like there's so much real estate taken on that page to make me do something other than just consume the content right other than just like the blank page or this goes back to the even the disc or uh, you know the album mm-hmm. sitting down and actually being able to enjoy the song read along with the lyrics and then maybe some backstory that came with the song or the writing of it or maybe in them in the studio like some album art versus now where it's it's like you've heard it that there's a term that has to do with like again like information by fire hose or something like that right like you're getting fire hose down with right. data it's like that happens so at such scale that something like that you're talking about with the small switch it's just a half a quarter inch dial turn and you do that over so long that it like let me let me ask you this because we it's interesting we talked a little bit about this earlier too with like the way that voice is being manipulated now as part of a group to hit, um, oh my gosh, I'm talking about when you went up for Stir Shaken to go lobby. Uh, yeah, when we were lobbying on Capitol Hill. Capitol Hill. I was going to say like City Hall. It's Capitol Hill. You went, so you went to Capitol Hill to go move this. Could you ha- help educate anybody who might not be familiar with Stir Shaken and why it matters? Like, what is that? Well, Stir Shaken is really a framework for. Uh, call centers and robocalls. So a robocall today is anything that, you know, auto generates, you know, say like through a predictive dialer. So that dialer is running and, you know, picks a number and boom, it calls out. Once it makes a connection, then it's going to connect it to the agent. That's why you have that delay. Hello. Hello. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, hi, Mr. Roush. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and so I know it's a predictive call. Um, that's a robocall. Uh, at least that's what 
you know, our legislators classify as robocall. So, you know, we're trying to kill all these robocalls. The problem is there's a lot of good robocalls out there. And there's also bad robocalls. Good robocall. Maybe my insurance company is trying to get a hold of me. Um, you know, like maybe my healthcare provider, mm-hmm. uh, something like that, that's still automated on the front end. Uh, but yet they're trying to get a hold of me for an important reason. I want that call to come through and I want some sort of, you know, verified check mark that says, yep, you're a good call. Let me pass you through. That's stir shaking. That's a framework that we we're trying to get to. But the problem is that takes, uh, everything moving to a voice over IP world. And today we still have a lot of TDM, um, out there. You know, older technology, um, time digital multiplex. So that, that stuff has to go away. But yeah, um, when, when it comes to stir shaking, the, the issue with TDM is we still have enough of it out there where it's going to take us, you know, 20, 30, maybe even 50 years to get rid of it all. And, and it's, so until all these companies get rid of the old, basically phone systems, uh, we still won't be able to deliver uh, a VoIP call through there. So meaning I've got to have some sort of header packet uh, on a VoIP call that delivers the information about that call. Well, stir shake and relies on that header packet in order to verify that it's really a, a real call uh, so that I can get a verified check mark on my phone, yeah. um, and, and go, Oh, yeah, it's my insurance company. Let me answer that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's going to take some time to get there. But yeah, I, the other problem is right now is we, we have to identify what's a good robocall versus what's a bad robocall. So it, it's just going to take time. And I, I just don't see it happening anytime soon. The trouble with that too is that there's like the world's still spinning, bro. Right. So if somebody does take, and the, w- one of the reasons I brought this up was because it, in effect, what that is trying to s- solve for these bad robocalls. Um, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, does this also affect like ones that are offshore, like companies here in the US that offshore that robocall that gets brought in from? No, no. So that only handles it, assuming that the call is coming from somewhere here domestically, right? which is the reason why we have a lot of offshore stuff, right? And so, so it's well intended, and in effect, would do wonders by stopping the bad robocalls, right? I'm actually, I'll pop on screen too an image that I got from my network provider through T-Mobile, right? That shows like, hey, we're about to start doing this. It's excellent. It mm-hmm. Shows that we're on the road of that being implemented. The problem I see too is that like it's not that doesn't solve for like the new problems that are coming up. So there's two things happening. One, to your point, it's going to take some time for all the old technology to get updated and people to actually follow regulation, right? Mm-hmm. And that's also only assuming that that is a domestic call center, right? That is actually getting uh, put through that regulation. Yes and no. I mean, if we can bake it into the framework of, you know, the actual uh, VoIP networks, then it still could solve for that problem. What what I see as the big issue for Stir Shaken is by the time it could actually get implemented, 
the framework itself is going to become outdated. Yeah, it'll be obsolete by then. It's going to be obsolete because of AI. Have you seen like cases popping up about the way that voice is being manipulated mm-hmm. itself through AI? Yep. I remember growing up and hearing there was a, uh, I think it's the artist, his name's Ludacris. I'm almost positive it's him that has an insurance policy on his voice. And I don't know if that actually, mm. this is, dude, this is years ago, but I think that that was more about somebody can't take his voice and like put it on like another record and then, yeah, right, type of I deal. I can see that. Um, but it's smart. Yeah. Well, now I think about how forward that thinking uh-huh. was in today where, it only how what is it a couple seconds? The problem is right now you only need three seconds of somebody's voice for AI to duplicate it. So what's happening now is you know people are getting these calls. You know a three a.m. call. You know dad's got a you know he's wealthy lawyer maybe in Dallas. He gets a call. Uh, you know, from his daughter who's down in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she's saying, Dad, you know, the federales want you to wire them a thousand dollars, uh, and to bail me out. Can you please bail me out? Dad's like, heck yeah, I'll get my daughter out of jail down in Mexico. Wires the money. Um, daughter could be fast asleep just upstairs. Mm. Uh, it's AI. Yeah. It's, it's AI making the call. It, and that's just hackers knowing how to manipulate uh, the AI. Uh, that's the kind of crap that's happening where we're going to have to trust but verify almost everything now because you don't know what's real. That's a full time job by itself, then, though, dude. Like, I, if I sat there and just opened every email I have across my inboxes, that's a full time job. So to trust and verify that, like, this is this brings phishing to a very sophisticated level. And how do you how do you guard against something? Like I think about how these like Facebook campaigns on like drop shipping and Shopify and Facebook, mm-hmm. like uh right, these like different types of like marketing strategies that are like, bro, at this point, some of them crazy outdated that people still haven't heard of. So when they get hit by the new face with the same pitch, yeah, that oh, they just they write rinse and repeat the same scheme. So when the disconnect of like an old, the older generation that is typically the ones that are business like seasoned, not just owners, because I I could be a business owner, but just seasoned in business, don't understand the way that technology is moving in that way now. You know? Well, I I, I think it's even more than that. So cybersecurity right now is like one of the number one uh, things that all of our clients want to talk about. Mm -hmm. And rightfully so. But we can put firewalls in and block, you know, uh, uh, DDoS attacks and, and phishing attacks or or maybe sandbox them and, you know, let them think that they're in whatever, depending on the, the different technologies that are out there that handle cyber attacks differently. We can look at that from a data perspective, but if I can manipulate voice, well, how do I guard against that in a business? Yeah. Because what if I start getting AI calls to my voice or, or, or to my, excuse me, AI calls to my business that are asking different things of the business, um, you know, whether it's transferring money or, or asking for data, whatever it is, I think it's so-and-so who's, you know, maybe one of my clients yeah. and it's not. Mm. 
you know, or maybe it's my lawyer calling me and, you know, it's really not him. Uh, so that's, this is where it really gets, Man, uh, you that's know, messy. Cybersecurity companies are going to start having to go, okay, guarding against data, great. Now, how I, how do I guard against the voice? I can't just, you know, say, oh, let's just open up port 80 and let voice traffic go through port 80. And, uh, you know, yeah, it, it's a different world now. Yeah, yeah. Now I got to uh, figure out, um, if that's a AI robocall and, and I'm not a voice engineer. I don't know the answer to that. All I'm saying is they better be thinking about this because this is the stuff that's going to just wreck businesses. If you're uh, listening to this and you are a voice engineer or you know somebody who could speak to this, I'd love to have them come on and talk a little bit about this because this is this is um this is kind of one of those things where we as a community of people need to start collaborating a little bit more on how to do the right things, not just sure. a matter of the the specific solution provider to do so. Because I like law is a wonderful thing, order is a wonderful thing. It also takes a very long time for the wheels of justice to turn. And, you know, in the context of somebody robbing my car, if there's somebody right uh, jacks my car, I'm still out of a car while I wait to figure out yep. what the law is going to do about it. What kind of court case? It's just a mess. So and if you think, dude, guys like Target gets hit, Sony gets hit. These yep. guys got a lot of money in that particular realm of cybersecurity. And then then they get found out to be in some cases, not even naming them as two who have uh uh, neglected the kind of security that they should have had. But there there have been some pretty big companies that hackers will expose as being unbelievably unsophisticated in their cybersecurity approach. Yeah, and, and I think AI just with where it's going in the next year or two breaks down the walls of at least 256-bit encryption, um, which most cyber companies, that's what they're using today. So then what do you go to? Um, and then by the time you fix that, uh, you got quantum computing on the rise. And, and I think quantum computing just breaks all the algorithms of cybersecurity and, you know, breaks down any walls, uh, past, present and future. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a huge, huge issue. And, and if people aren't, you know, looking at, Number one, their business and how do they safeguard it today? Uh, but really asking the, those hard questions of your vendors. Um, and, and then legally, what, what, uh, ramifications or, or repercussions do I have if something were to happen? Um, cause it's more than just cybersecurity insurance, you know, because yeah, 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 I might, I might get paid back from the insurance company, but, uh, to what end? I Dude, might be out of business. Yeah, my store is still being looted, and I still need to have products on the shelf. Like, right? It, it, yes, yes, insurance, yes. But I'm still in the process of trying to serve. Right? I, there's a customer, an end customer that I'm serving right now, and so you won't have a business to 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 recoup with the insurance if you wait until yep. all the fires go out. Yeah. So how how is it that? As of right now, I mean, I know I'm asking a bit of a loaded question because I know you, you don't know. Do, and this is part of why we want to have this discussion in the first place is to start finding people who are a little bit closer to knowing in these different areas. There's a um, a way that instead of, say, for instance, somebody who is trying to hack. Like there's, I'm thinking of there's two different types of providers I know uh, I'm thinking of right now that one will 
kind of quarantine and kind of pull one to pull it to the side. So if a, a representative of the company clicks on a link that they shouldn't have clicked, it is either going to quarantine it, right? And, and, and then put it to the side. And then the other one is going to allow them to play in like a fake organization. Could you, could you like explain a little bit what I, I think you, it's you, just you, different ways of handling the same problem. Yeah. So yeah. You're, you're talking about maybe like phishing attacks where somebody gets an email with a PDF looks valid. Maybe it came from organization like PayPal or Google and, you know, looks like a legit email. Uh, you click on it and it, you know, now you've infected, uh, the organization. There's some that will block it and quarantine it before it even gets to you. Uh, because, oh, it's a known phishing attack. Um, therefore I send it off to, uh, maybe a sock. Uh, a security operations center, you know, as part of my seam solution. And, and, it, and it goes to that sock that they scrub it. They, they do all their uh, tests on it and, and make sure it's legit. If it's legit, then you get it back to you sometimes, uh, you know, within just a matter of two to five minutes. Um, so there might be a little d- bit of a delay on that email, but at least they're catching it on the front end. And then there's other uh, solutions out there that, don't even care about catching it on the front end. They just let them all in because they actually create like a sandbox that looks like um, it, they're in the d- file directory, right? And, and they get in there and they go, oh, I'm in, you know, but they don't realize that they're actually inside of a, you know, yeah, locked sandbox. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's just different ways of uh, handling the issue. Um, and so that's why, you know, you have to do kind of a risk analysis of your company go, okay, what are we risk averse to? And, you know, what are we willing to, you know, uh, deal with and, and where's that threshold? Um, and then just ask those tough questions. You know, everybody's going to do things differently. It's just a matter of what fits for you. And that's why we do what we do, right? Because we're not going to sit here and tell you you know, oh, X is better than Y, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to go, hey, um, X and Y both meet like 90% of your requirements. So let's bring them in, you know, let them run their demos, or maybe do a POC with them, whomever you like, then we negotiate out that contract and help, you know, with the installation and implementation and project management of that. Um, So it's not an issue of one being better than the other, it's what fits for your company culture and and how you want to do business. Um, and then, you know, look, if we structure the contract right and somebody over promises and under delivers and comes in there and doesn't do the job that they said they were going to do, mm-hmm. well, then we just pull that vendor out, bring in, you know, the backup vendor and and see if it works. The thing is, is I think it, what it does is that it puts the customer in a position to have to be open to a new way of doing business that they like, cause I, I would imagine as a consumer myself, dude, if I, I could walk into Banana Republic and I can walk into Joseph A. Banks, right? And both of them are trying to sell me suits. And I can be like, uh, like I can weigh those two suit options myself. Like, what do I need? And I can get measured at each one of those. So like, why do I need a third party to come in and tell me what kind of suit should I wear if these guys can, size me, so to speak, right? Themselves. And it sounds like if I was to just stick with this analogy is 
figuring out like my lifestyle. Like this, I've seen, I got hit with an ad recently of a dude who's wearing like a really sharp, looks like a very tailor made, like a t- tailor cut suit. And he does like a backflip in it and uh, like starts doing pushups to he show probably like he works uh, out five times a week as well. And, yeah. So yeah. So he himself, so the, it's, my yeah. point is, is that it's the, it, the lifestyle also fits the kind of suit that he would want to wear. Right. Um, and I think that that's kind of where this consulting does make a big impact on the way that if a company really cares about the people that they serve, both internally and externally, the culture and then the customer, right? Then with how fast things are moving, it's, it's really a gamble. It's a, it's, it's a risk that people I don't think weigh correctly when they say, I'm going to continue doing business the way I think is best instead of opening myself up to someone who might be kicking tires of some of these different solutions more frequently than I am because they'll know based on what I say my use case is, right? That one, why you're going to bring X and Y to the table as opposed to, I just need X and Y at the table. Yeah. You you need, you need to, you need to solve the problem. Like I hired a coach that at one point, all he was focused on because the two main focuses, I think most fitness coaches that I've talked to bring up, are you trying to gain or are you trying to lose? Right. Mm-hmm. Gain doesn't always have to necessarily even be just muscle mass. It could be literal weight. There's guys who are just hard gainers, right? There's other people who like can't seem to get their diet under control. But if we're trying to do both, then it's already complicating something that has been complicated for you to do on your own. So I need you to help me help you. Which of these two directions do we want to walk down? Once I know that, then it, okay, it is gain. Okay, are we trying to gain muscle? We're trying to just gain weight. Because there's a way to clean gain uh, to gain clean weight, right? And in that world, if you looked at a hundred different coaches, eighty of them might do a fantastic job and 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 be okay for you. Yeah, uh, and that's the same thing in our world. You could look at um, you know forty, fifty different cloud service solution providers mm-hmm. and say, okay, here's my requirements, and out of those you know, 40 or 50 of them, um, man, 30 of them might work just fine. But when you really get granular and and you start uh, looking at the solutions and how it works, um, they all do things a little bit differently. And what the big problem is, is when you're dealing with a company directly, they want to just sell a product. Um, They're interested in satisfying their investors or, you know, the sales guy is just going, man, I just want to retire my quota this quarter so I can keep my job. Yeah. Um, we don't care about quotas. You know, it, it's, you know, look, I, I can give you that company, but I can also give you this company and this company and this company. And, you know, we'll advocate on your behalf and negotiate on your behalf. Yeah. So it, it takes a lot of pressure off the customer because now they're not having to worry about being lied to by salespeople. Yeah. And, and, and just literally some guy trying to shove a square pig into a round hole. Yeah. That simultaneously takes pressure off of us too. Cause I've been, dude, I did, I did direct sales a little more than a decade. I definitely know what it's like to, because we're trying to hit numbers by the end of the month. I'm like, I promise it. I promise it because I promise it. And unfortunately, been in positions where after I promise it, knowing good and well that if we really tried, we probably could pull off, not probably could mm-hmm. pull off what I'm promising. But then I'm, t- I'm saying this as a professional. Then when the company doesn't follow through, they put the onus back on you because you're the one who said it. 
even though they're advocating, say it so that we can close a deal. Yep. And so like that, there's a very specific instance that comes across my mind that bothers, it bothers me. It's, it's kept me up because it ultimately reflects on my integrity as a, as a professional. Um, yeah. So, um, and I, and appreciate that a lot as far as being able to do that today where it's like, and not, I'm not worried about fitting quota as much as I am. Once we solve the problem that today we're consulting about, this is kind of like a very loose framework of it. Today, I want to know what the problem is. Okay. But once we solve that problem, what happens after that? What is the next venture that I think I'm going to want to get on? Because that might help impact what supplier could come in and solve that problem. Not just because they can handle it now, but because they'll stack well with what I want to do next. Yeah. And I think that's why you got to be smart about road mapping out your technology plan. That's why we do what we do. You know, let's, um, you know, lay the foundation and build upon that. You know, what projects are going to, uh, you know, need to go first versus second because maybe beholden to a, you know, working well. Yeah. And, and so if, if we build it right, we can have a, a nice, progression um and the company gets the budget you know uh, a certain amount and then we can you know take a look at that budget as we go along and install things and, and it just makes it for a, a smoother process than to just say you know oh this is a problem that popped up let's put this fire out oh there's yeah. another one let's put that fire out yeah i think that's kind of what is because there's, there's times where we'll, we'll talk to somebody who maybe is focused on Dude, AI is the thing now. I want to get more focused on it, and and or or they'll pawn that off to their IT director, which is the point. Is is yeah, you might be looking at a cybersecurity solution, and you don't even have the right compute solution in place uh, to put the cybersecurity yeah. solution into. Yeah, which then it's interesting because, like, in the context of if I want like a bot or something to to run it, uh, to run some some type of front end of my customer engagement. Talking about for like a call center platform. Yeah. But then, but then a cybersecurity fire shows up in the middle of us shopping for this. I don't care that this was part of your two year plan. This is now the concern now. Like the cybersecurity sure. then becomes the issue yeah. because we've already been compromised. Now it's actually not only the security issue I have to solve, but then I have to get a better disaster recovery in case this happens again to prevent how long it's going to take for me to recover from this. So now this two year plan of updating this part of my technology infrastructure is now yeah. shot. And the world's still spinning. Dude, people are now like doing things with AI where they're advancing voice to the way that they are. You know, and speaking of the world still spinning. So a lot of these uh, cybersecurity companies, um, it, it's no longer do I have to have a cybersecurity company that's in the U.S. Um, I can pull a, a, a cyber organization out of Africa or out of Europe or Asia that, you know, maybe could do just as good of a job because... You know, the Internet's global. It's not, you know, um, beholden to just, you know, oh, inside that. the U.S. borders. So uh, it's it's no longer do I have to have um, a sock that's here in the U.S. I can this this is something that I'm saying can be offshored much cheaper and, you know, still get the same quality uh, versus like if I'm offshoring my, you know, uh, call center to a BPO in the Philippines, yeah. I'm probably going to suffer some quality, yeah. you know, versus having that in the U S that's an interesting but, point, but a sock is different. Um, you know, where I've just got eyeballs, smart people watching my network, watching ingress and egress of information coming and going and, you know, have some smart people just 
watching the hen house, you know, um, that's where it can be really beneficial and, and, and you can get it a lot cheaper with some of these guys. It's an interesting point, man. Do you think that it would be worth considering saying like flipping that approach where I would rather offshore my security than offshore my call center? Would you go as far as to say that? I would personally, but, but that's just me, you know? Um, cause we've talked to a lot of those guys. We're, we're talking to, um, a, a security company that's in South Africa right now. Um, so from a language barrier perspective, you don't have that. Uh, you have an accent to, you know, Americans. They think it's, you know, oh, you're English. Yeah. Or you must be Australian. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but that's us dumb Americans. Yeah, America. know, we, we just, we just can't <laughs> tell the difference between these accents. Right. But nevertheless, um, there's not a language barrier, right? That you can understand them really well. And so uh, there's some really good high tech companies. Um, These guys that we're talking to in South Africa right now are, you know, I think they're the number one or number two Microsoft um, solution provider in all of the African continent, Mm. not just South Africa. Um, So they're a big player. And, And, you know, when I can get a sock, uh, you know, down to maybe 11 to $15 or, you know, per, you know, seat over there versus $30, you know, per seat in the yeah, U.S., yeah. that's a big difference. Yeah. Look, dude, if I could read, if I could with a clear conscience say that when gas is $359 here, but a couple blocks over, is three twenty nine? Those are when I need to fill up my tank, dude. I, I see how that adds up. So I don't see why we somehow take a different approach when it comes to the right solution that's being offshored. Offshore isn't a bad thing, but like you're making good sense when you say like, if I know that cu- if customer experience, I'm the business. Customer experience is very important yeah. to me as a business, right? Branding is very important to me as a business. I'll tell you right now, dude. If I would have known that my current insurance provider had as terrible of an offshore call center as they do. I would have not picked them. Like I, w- I would rather pay a slightly higher premium to know that the customer service I'm getting is actually going to help me yeah. because it, especially now that I'm already locked into the insurance, I, I'm, I'm done for the year. I got to figure it out. Right. It's the worst. It's the worst. It makes yeah. me more educated, but now it's going to take me a year as a consumer to, to correct it from yeah. my buying decision. A funny um, lizard doesn't make them a good insurance company. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's marketing. And that's like, I thought it was very uh, significant too. Maybe I'll share this real quick. The um, one of the cohorts I'm in, I'm in right now. He was talking about that uh, uh, a non uh, a fiction writer who puts a book together. They're writing in such a way that general populace, when they read it, someone will connect with it, and then they'll want to take the journey. But in marketing, that's not what we're doing. In marketing, I'm trying to say when when I deliver this message that somebody goes, "That's me." That's yeah. my problem. So that they do raise their hand a lot more clearly out of the crowd um, of potential buyers, right? And that helps the company then figure out where to spend their efforts on when it comes to follow-up and all this uh, and all the like. But yeah, it's the same methodology that Alex Hermosi pitched in uh $100 million offers, right? Yeah. You know, Great book. Of, of getting, you know, really honed in on your messaging of, you know, do I sell this training to call center agents for $50 uh, 
uh, an hour or do I sell it to call center agents selling, you know, power tools, mm-hmm. same training at hundred dollars an hour, or do I sell it to call center agents, uh, outbound call center agents selling power tools mm-hmm. in a call center. Now I sell it for $150 an hour because yeah. that guy's going, that's me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Cle- clearly it was, it was made for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's interesting how that happens. You're the one actually who informed me about the Chobani effect, right? Was that you? Yeah. About like, yeah, the when we talked about, font? yeah, just the font. And it's just, it's incredible. Peloton did something like that too, I think, um, with their, with their bikes. Before, I think they were their bikes, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken, were also, they were about to go broke. I think they've like branched out into different areas and mm. stuff. Look, man, with how quickly things move, it's, it's hard not to want to consider making smarter friends, right? And people, and by smarter friends, that's sometimes just the ability to leverage the right tools at the right time. Bro, I can hire, David Goggins to come to my house. If I'm not ready for that type of training, I ain't, it's not going to work for me. It's not going to work. And it's, yeah. it doesn't mean that it's the wrong training and it doesn't mean that it couldn't work or doesn't work. Right. Uh, the same coach that I hired a year ago said that, man, the best plan is the one you adhere to. And if, if for instance, customer service matters to me, customer experience matters to me, then maybe it is worth considering my cybersecurity approach is what changes so that I can keep the integrity of that message true to the business. And it's not like fodder. Cause I'll tell you, man, I'm, I'm kind of sick of how many people will be like company culture. And it's like, what culture? Like this, it's you, like you yeah. still work here and you're the one that's worked here forever. Yeah, if, you, if, you, if you've got a call center with a 70% attrition rate, you don't have a culture, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, company culture is something that always bugs me. Um, I, th- I think if you create an employee culture, it, it becomes, you know, a great, in other words, c- create great employee experiences and that spills over to your customer experience. Yeah, I believe that it, it becomes your company culture. So it, it all starts with treating your employees really well. Yeah, I believe that. Well, maybe that could be where we can pick up next convo is talking about a, l- a little bit how that employee experience is. Should I, in my opinion, personally, I think that that should take precedence over the customer experience for the reasons you just mentioned. And that doesn't mean neglect it, but I think that that seems maybe selfish to, to some companies to think I'm going to take care of my employees this way. But at the end of the day, it doesn't, th- those things are only as, as, um, good as, as they are executed. Yep. Right. So like technology is a part of that solution as long as well as training needs to be part of that solution, but it's not an either or, but a both and and sure. a way to mitigate costs while you're doing that too. Cause I'm sure there's CFOs out there who are like, yeah, that all sounds great guys, but it's not in the budget. So as much as that's what we want to do, like, you know, either make some more money or we're, we, we can't for the next however long. Right. Um, so maybe that could be something where we pick up next time about some of the technology that's out there that can impact employee experience. Yeah. And we can really kind of hit on the call center um world and uh even talk a little bit about what you're doing from a training perspective you know i think it'd yeah. be relevant to talk about cool well hey, thanks for joining us uh we look forward to having you on the next episode of cloud sherpa hey thanks for tuning in today uh hope you guys can join us for the next discussion until then luke 923